How many of us here uh, are getting something from these videos? A bit of knowledge and understanding, connecting some dots for us? So am I. It's really good stuff. Um, I think Chad does a really good job this morning of giving us the storyline from the time where the Israelites refused to go into the land that God had promised them through unbelief till the first king. Okay, But there's a little span of time in between the crossing of the Red Sea into which the Israelites were about to go into the promised land but refused to that he doesn't discuss here. And I think it's of really, really big importance that we understand a few things about this, this transition period, this time, where we find the children of Israel just crossed the Red Sea. They're about to take a small detour on the way to the promised land, okay? Now, this detour was so that God could give them the law, okay? The law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, put up whatever term you want to, but God wants to give them some instructions, okay? If you want to be my people, if you want to follow me, this is what I require of you, okay? So they're following God as he's, as he's leading Moses throughout the, the wilderness. They aren't even out of Egypt, just to give you a time frame, three months. And the people already start to murmur and complain and whine. And one of the, uh, the instances of this is found in Exodus chapter 15, where we can look at. Like I said, this is not even two months out of, out of Egypt, and they're already starting this. Starting off at 16 verses 1, halfway through, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt, the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And on that day, the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt, when we sat by pots of meat and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out in the wilderness to kill us. You've just seen a mighty, mighty deliverance from the hand of God, and already we're starting to doubt God and starting to have unbelief. Well, this scenario was proved time and time again throughout the whole wilderness experience. Even they were saying, you know, listen, we had it good in Egypt. Let's go back. Let's go back into slavery instead of doing what God would have us to do. So this is where we find the children of Israel two months out, okay? This is only the beginning of constant complaints and constant rebellion. God brings them to this spot on the foot of the foothills of, of Mount Sinai. And this is the scene that is said right here in Exodus chapter 19, verses 16 through 20. And go with me here in your mind and picture this, okay? Then it came to pass, verse 16, it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings, lightnings, and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud. So all the people who were in the camp began to tremble. Verse 18. Now Mount Sinai was completely covered in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. Verse 20. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top and Moses went up. This right here is whenever the Lord gave Moses the Ten Commandments, okay? The Ten Commandments became the very basis of the whole Mosaic law, the whole law that God gave to Moses. Roughly 613 laws were presented with the foundation of these laws and the basis of these laws being the Ten Commandments. 
Okay? We had the moral law codified in the Ten Commandments. They also had sacrificial law, priestly laws, dietary laws, and national civil laws. However, the Ten Commandments, the ten that God wrote upon the two tablets that Moses came down with, became the basis of all of these. Let's look at these this morning. They're written in Exodus chapter 20, okay? The first one says in verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. One, you shall have no other gods before me. I want to be a little introspective this morning as we go through this, okay? And I want to apply it to our lives and take a look at us this morning whenever we walk into this. Have we always put God first and foremost before everything we've done in our life? Have we always, have we always done this? No, I can say no on my behalf. No, I haven't. You should not make carved images for yourself. You should not make yourself idols. Now, this is the letter of the law, okay? But the spirit of the law is we shall not have any, any, any idols that we make with our hands or we make with our minds. Something that would take the place of God in God's place, even if it's not something that we're literally physically with our, our, our physical body bowing down to, Whenever we bow down to something with our life that's not God, it becomes an idol, too. How many of us have never done that? Uh, I dare say none of us, okay? Me included. Three, you should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That's using, you know, profanity to talk about God. One of the biggest things that, that bothers me, it's not GD, if you will, okay? I mean, yeah, that does... But it's whenever somebody says the name Jesus Christ. It says it in such a way that it's to denote disgust or even excitement or, or just taking that name out of the holy context in which it's said. We, we hear this all the time. That's, that, that's the one that kind of hurts my ears the most, you know. And people say it all the time, and you know what, the, the fact is they don't believe it's blasphemy. They're just, this part of their language is, hey, you know, describing something but using that holy name of Jesus. This is a violation of the third commandment, okay? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Four, have we always done that? Have we always set aside a day in our life to honor God and to put him as the center of that day? Honor your father and mother. Thou shalt not murder, okay? How many of us said, well, I've never murdered in here. I've never murdered. Jesus tells us, he says, you've heard it said you shall not murder, but... Anyone who has unjust anger in his heart towards his brother has committed murder already. You see the spirit of the law. It's not the letter. Jesus talks about the spirit of it. You should not commit adultery. I'm not an adulterer. I don't have a wife. I don't, you know, I've never committed adultery. But Jesus said, you've heard this. But I tell you, anyone who even looks at a woman to lust after her in his heart has already committed adultery with her. You should not steal. You should not lie. You shall not covet your neighbor's goods, his wife, his, his servants, whatnot. So when we take a look at these ten laws, okay, this is what God considers to be good, okay? We have a different standard out in the world today that says, you know what, I haven't broken any of the, the civil laws of the land. I haven't murdered, I haven't stolen, I haven't robbed, I haven't killed or raped or did any of these things, so therefore I'm in good standing with the law of the land. So therefore I'm a good person. I'm a good person. You know, I've never broken the laws. I've never had anything to go to jail. I'm a good person. However, this is not God's standard of what's good, okay? This is man's standard of what's good. 
God's standard of goodness is written right here in these ten laws. This is his standard. If we have ever broken even one of these laws, at one time in our life, we are guilty of breaking the whole law. And Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin, or the wages of transgressing or breaking this law, is death. Very, very serious stuff, okay? I think in my life, how many thousands of times have I fallen short? Sometimes attempting to keep this law... And other times completely abandoning it and casting it aside to do my own thing. How many times have I been in this position? You see, this is very stern. But this is one thing that we have to understand and realize about this law. When we violate it and we, when we transgress this law, we just don't break some, some rules that God made up and said, okay, this is good and this is bad. You should do this and you shouldn't do that. That's oftentimes what we have whenever we think of the law of God. Just some rules handed down by God to say, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. He didn't make up these rules. He didn't decide to call something good or decide to call something bad. This is very important, y'all. This is very, very important. The moral law that's found in the Ten Commandments are the very extension of God's own person. They are his very nature They are his character, and they are his person. I want to repeat that again, okay, because it's very important for us to to understand this about the law. The moral law that is found in the Ten Commandments are the very extension of God's own person. They're part of his nature, his character, and his person. When we violate these laws in our life, in reality, we are violating not some abstract law that God said good or bad, We're violating God's own person and God's own nature. This is why it's a huge deal. This is why whenever we break the law, the law brings death. The violation for breaking one of the least of the commandments is death. You see, God is holy and God is just. Therefore, he cannot allow any of those who are not these things to enter into his presence. Whenever we break the law, we're not holy anymore. Whenever we break the law, we're not good in God's sight. Even the smallest matters of the law, breaking the sm- what we would consider the smallest issues of the law, violate God's person. So, let me ask you a question. Let me present it to you in this way, okay? Why is it wrong to lie? Is it wrong to lie because mom and dad said so when we were younger? They taught us that, hey, we shouldn't lie. You know, it might hurt people. Well, what would happen if we lied to someone and it didn't hurt, it, it didn't hurt anybody? It was just a little white lie. Would it still be wrong then? Is lying wrong because Pastor Sam would tell us that lying's wrong? Pastors and church people would tell us that lying's wrong? Is lying wrong because the Word of God says it's wrong? Not exactly. Lying is wrong because God is truth. Whenever we lie, we violate the very truth nature of God. He is truth. Whenever we lie, we violate that. That's why whenever we murder, it's wrong to murder. Why is it wrong to murder? Because you take somebody's life? Well, yeah. But more, more, more than that is because God is life. It's wrong to hate because God is love. You see, it's wrong to commit adultery because God is faithful. It is wrong to be impure because God is pure. That's why it's wrong to do these things. It's not wrong because man says it's wrong, or the pastor says it's wrong, or even the the, the word of God says it's wrong. 
The word of God says it's wrong because it's, it's who God is. God, God's nature, his character, his presence was codified in these commandments. Now, now that we have a little bit of understanding about the law and what is the law, I want to take some time to think, why did God take the trouble to come down to Moses on that mountain, in, 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 surrounded in a cloud, in a fire? Why did he come down and give this law? For that, we have to look in the New Testament, okay? And, and Paul does a really good a, a, a job of explaining the purpose of the law. We, we're going to look at this in Galatians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, okay? I hope you brought them because we're going to do a little bit of reading this morning to get a grip on this. Why did God take the trouble to come down and give the law? Galatians 3.19, Paul asks a question. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions. It was added because of transgressions? What does that mean? Okay, Transgression means to violate, to go against this law. You see, we inherited the sin nature from Adam and Eve. Thank you, Adam and Eve. Now we're natural born sinners. We're prone to violate God's nature and character by violating his law. It was given initially to keep us in check, okay? That's why the law was given. He said, we have this nature that man's dealing with. He can't control it, therefore we're going to put some restrictions. God came down and said, Moses, I'm going to give you this law, and you're to abide by it. Galatians 3.23 says that, but before faith, which if we believe in Christ, we are of faith. Before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. We were kept under guard by the law. You see, it showed us the right way to go. It showed us the things to do, the things not to do. But also, this law did a couple other things to us, which were to our detriment, okay? It says that we were also made weak by the law because of our inability to keep it. You see, at the end of of this life, we would be measured by this law on judgment day and fall completely and 100% short of it. It's standard. It would condemn us. The law that would not bring life, it would bring condemnation to us, okay? Let's look specifically how the law is kept. Kept us under guard. What does it mean to be kept under guard? For instance, look at all the wicked nations, okay? That the Israelites were commanded to go, displace the nations, completely wipe them out, and take the land. These were wicked, wicked nations. As a side note, you oftentimes hear how God was mean in the Old Testament. You know, God was just a God of vengeance. And a God of meanness and, you know, not the God of love and the God of grace and the God of mercy. Think about this. If you have somebody who's committed wickedness on a grand scale, they're raping, they're robbing, they're murdering, they're stealing. Wouldn't you want that person to be judged? Wouldn't you want that person to be removed from society and to not be a threat to other people and around them? This is the exact mindset that God had whenever he came against the wickedness of the nations. Remember, he said that whenever he talked to Abraham, we talked about it last week, he said, Abraham, God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you the land, the people. He said, we're going to serve the Egyptians 400 years until the iniquity of this people in this land is filled up. It's complete. You see, while they didn't have the physical law of God, the Bible makes it clear that God writes the law in every man's heart. So that way, whenever we violate it, we go against it. Our conscience bears witness that we're breaking the law. They didn't have to have a physical law in their hands to know right from wrong. But they knew right from wrong, and they still chose to violate it. They still chose to go about their own way. 
So, because of the iniquity of the land and the complete lawlessness of it, God judged them. This was how the law was supposed to act towards the Israelites. To not do those things that all these other wicked nations do and to keep you in line with the plans that I have for you. We'll see later that Israel completely discards this, just like the other wicked nations did. They cast it aside the very thing that will keep them grounded and keep them in favor. You see, the law was there to keep us in good standing with the creator whose nature is the standard of the law. Okay, that's why the law was given. So, knowing this, knowing what the law is, why it was given, how does the law apply to us? This is what I want to talk about, okay? You see, first, we have to realize that God made some promises. Before the law was ever given, he came to Abraham and he said, Abraham, I'm going to give you descendants from your line. Kings are going to come from you. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Everybody's going to be blessed because of you, Abraham. Now, was this promise given to Abraham through the law? No, it was given by promise. It was never given through the law, or it was never given or, or received by keeping of the law, okay? They were given by promise. For those of us who were here last week, do you remember the, the Abrahamic covenant we talked about? How God came to Abraham, and he said, according to your own customs, and according to the way you do things, I'm going to make a covenant with you, that the promises you may know in your heart, that the promises that I make are going to truly be fulfilled. Scripture tells us, that Abraham believed God and it was accounted or credited to Abraham as righteousness. And see, that, that term righteousness is actually a legal term. It means to be in right standing with the law. It, it means whenever God sees us, he sees perfect law keeping. Okay? It was accounted to him. It was given to him. Genesis, I'm sorry, Galatians 3, 15 through 17 speaks of this covenant. And let, let me just backtrack a little bit, okay? God came down to Abraham in Genesis 15. He says, Abraham, according to your ways, I'm going to make a covenant with you. Cut, cut animals down the middle. Make a bloodline. Abraham, thinking according to his own custom, God was going to come down with him, walk hands as it was a custom, and walk through that bloodline together. Meaning that if you violate the covenant, this is your blood. If I violate the covenant, this is my blood. Okay? You see, this was the strictest and most legally binding agreement of the old day, of this old age. Okay, so in Galatians chapter three, verses 15 through 17, this is what Paul is referring back to. This first covenant that God cut with Abraham. He said, brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant. Yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls it or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed, this this word seed right here is capitalized. Okay. It's capital S-E-E-D, denoting divinity. And, and, and Paul even goes forward to tell us who it is. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say into seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. And this I say, the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. You see, God promised it to him, and the law cannot cancel it. 
It was given by promise and confirmed by Christ on the cross. On the cross. You know, the provisions of the Old Covenant, what were the original provisions? Well, you, you have to know a little, bit, a little bit of history to really dig into it. There were several different types of covenants. The, God, the, the covenant that God wanted to come with Abraham was a patriarchal covenant. The terms of, the, of the, uh, the entities of the covenant were named father and son. The superior or the stronger party would uh, vow to protect, provide, supply, and give life and give, give sustenance to the weaker side. And the weaker side, their agreement, the thing that they had to uphold was to act as a faithful son with a loving father. Okay, this was the original provisions. God would act as a loving father, and man would act as a faithful son. Now, whoever violated it, their blood would be shed just as these animals' blood was shed on the ground. Now, remember, what happened? If you read Genesis 15, he says, A deep sleep fell upon Abraham, and he fell asleep, expecting, waiting God to come down and walk with him through that blood, and God walked through it alone. He walked the bloodline alone. You see, what he did was he signed on Abraham's side and he signed on the man's side. Jesus came as that faithful son, kept the law to the T, honored his father in all of his ways, and then laid down his life as a payment for man who had violated the law of the covenant, the provision of the covenant. Who, in, who of us in here has been 100% faithful? Who of us in here has never sinned and has never transgressed the law of God? No one. None of us in here. It doesn't matter that we don't fall to the edges of depravity and, and, and we're, we're not criminals. All of us who have violated God's law is a criminal in God's sight. This is why Jesus came. He paid our price of our guilt. Okay? And I, I love it what he said at the end of it on, on the cross right before he left, right before he died. What's translated in, in, in the word, it says paid in full. You know, that's the translation. Jesus said, it is finished. It was literally what was stamped on a slave's uh, debt notice that his service or his debt had been paid in full and therefore he was free. So now that Jesus said, it is finished, he literally said, paid in full. The agreement of the, the first covenant, the provisions were broken by man through breaking of the law, not acting as that faithful son. Jesus said, I came, I acted as the faithful son. And, and after I did that, I paid the price. Fulfilling, fulfilling and confirmed it, and like, just like Paul says right here in 15. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's go down. 14. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Okay? So, because Jesus did this, we have good news today, Okay? This law that was applied to the Jews in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, the moral law to those who are in Christ, this law has absolutely no sway over us. The fact that we've broken the law and the curse of all that would come with it, which is death and separation from God, has no hold on us. Believe me, people, this is good news. This is, means that imperfect, unholy lawbreakers before God can now be accepted by God's own personal sacrifice. Those who are in Christ are no longer the law. It has no sway. The law has no power if we are truly Christ's. Okay? I want to tie this together in Genesis, in Galatians. And I want to do a little bit of reading, so bear with me here. It's Galatians 3, 5 through 26, okay? And this is going to really tie the whole grace versus law entity together. 
starting with verse 5. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit, this is the Spirit of God, this is the life of God, okay, to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by being obedient to the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scriptures seeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's us, we're the Gentiles, we're non-Jews, by faith, preach the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in all the nations, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as are the works of the law. What does this mean? This means as many of us who would try to be attempted, uh, attempt to be justified by the law. As many of us are, are, are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all these things which are written in the book of the law. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God. For the just shall live by faith. Verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree, that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. The blessings of Abraham that were before the law, the promises of Abraham, might, we might receive them by faith in the person and the provision of Jesus Christ. That the promise of the Spirit, the promise of life, new life to us, would be received through faith. Brethren, therefore, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, speaking of that old covenant, yet if, if it is confirmed, no one annuls it or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed where the promise is made, he does not say unto seeds as of many, but as to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. And this I say, the law which was 430 years later cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For the inheritance... Or the promise and the provisions of that first covenant is by the law, by us and our ability to keep the law and keep ourselves by doing it. It is no longer by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Now what is the purpose of the law? It was made because of transgressions. To the seed, being Jesus, would come to whom the promise was made. Verse 22. But the scripture has confirmed all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. We talked about this. We were kept under guard for the faith which would be revealed afterwards. Therefore, the law was our tutor. The tutor, this really means, translation would be a disciplinarian. Somebody who every time you stepped out of line would whack you. would be like, get back in line. Not to be mean to you, but to keep you going the right direction. Therefore, the law, the law of Moses, was our tutor to bring us to Christ, to point us to Jesus, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Wow. You see, this law that the Jews had to abide by and had to keep was done away with in Jesus. He took the curse of the law, which is anybody who violated would bring about death and eternal separation. We are not expected by God to keep the law to earn favor or salvation. For that boat is long past. We've all broken it time and time again. We're already all guilty. However, God does expect us 
to keep the original provisions of the first covenant. What were they? The provisions of the first covenant that God cut with Abraham was God would act as a faithful father to provide, protect, take care of, nurture, and sons and daughters would act as faithful sons and daughters back to God. You see, God still expects that of his children. That is not done away with. We don't have to keep a law, rules, and regulations, but we do have to act as faithful sons and daughters whenever we come into relationship with Jesus Christ. That is still expected of us. Now, this is a good thing, okay? This is the good thing and the bad thing. This applies to believers. So all of us who come to Jesus Christ recognize that we're violators of this law, we're violators of the Ten Commandments, can come to Christ and have our sins forgiven, have mercy and grace given to us. However, the unbelievers who are not part of this covenant, who have ne- never made a covenant with God by blood, the blood, the blood of the Lamb, when they stand before God on Judgment Day, they will have the full weight of the law coming down. And when found guilty, when they are found, not if, when they are found guilty, because everybody's broken it, they'll be banished forever. You know, I thank Christ that he's kept the law for me and paid the price for my lawlessness. Now he stands offering his perfect, perfect life and his absolute perfection given to me. So that when I stand before God and God says, have you kept the law? Say, personally, no, sir, I haven't. But there, there is one who has. And I come under him. He's my representative on this judgment day. And thereby we better flee and escape the wrath that is to come. If there's anyone in here today that doesn't know for, for certain that they're going to have that, that perfect life of Christ on them on, on the judgment day, talk to me after class, talk to me before church or after church, whatever, because it's of the utmost importance that we're certain that if we were to die today, that we know where we go. It's an eternal decision. It's going to last forever and ever, people. And it's something that we really need to take to heart. It's a free gift. So, therefore, the three purposes of the law, this law that God came down on Mount Sinai to give to Moses, was one, to keep us under guard until Christ, to keep the people moving in the right direction, to point us towards Jesus, the one who would ultimately be the fulfillment of the law. He would fulfill it. And three, to show us just how far far we fall short of God, what God's standard is of good or what God's standard is of righteousness. You know, we have a tendency to judge ourselves upon the world, the world standard of what's good. And a lot of people you talk to, when you ask them, would you consider yourself to be a good person? Yeah, absolutely a good person. And they, they may be according to the world's standards. But how, you, how, how many of us know that according to the world's standards is not going to cut in on judgment day? We're going, to be, we're going to be judged by the perfect standard of the law of God. And any of us who's broken one of it, it's a done deal. It's game over, you know? So whenever we talk to people, we're going to evangelize and witnessing to people about Jesus. Sometimes the first, the first thing I always do is, is, would you consider yourself to be a good person? Most people will tell you yes. And you know, you know what you do? You don't beat them with it. How offensive is that? You're a sinner and you're going to hell. That may be true, but that's offensive. And you don't shut somebody down. All I do is I hold up the Ten Commandments and say, have you kept them? You know? Have you ever lied? Have you ever committed adultery? Have you ever taken something that wasn't yours? Have you ever always, have you always obeyed your mother and your father? If they're honest with you, they'll tell you no. You know? And, and that if they were judged upon these ten, these ten laws on judgment day, they'd be found guilty. 
the law does have its purpose, and it shows us how far how far we fall we fall short. Okay, so I told you this is this is where I want to stay today because I think Chad did a really good job of connecting the dots from, from the land of um, from the wilderness to the land of Canaan and the conquest and the kings and everything like that. Okay, and the judges. Um, so. Time's short here, but I do want to make three validations from the book of Exodus that, that I believe validates the Bible to be truth, okay? Grant Jeffrey, one of the guys that I kind of study under, great, great author, great writer, great scholar, um, took the book of Exodus, okay, and he used it as a roadmap. And it says, you know, I'm going to follow this and use it as a map to kind of chart the children of Israel's path and see what I find. Three things of interest that he found. He came into the wilderness, and right before the mountain of Sinai, he found this great, what looked like a stone altar. It was raised up really high. It was high and lifted up, had stones around it. These stones looked ancient, looked really old. And he said, I, I want to get a little closer. I want to get a closer inspection of it. And upon looking at the engravings that were found on the side of the rocks, what did he find? But in, engravings and markings of calves and cows and bulls and these engravings were marked all around this appeared to be an altar like structure that was raised up from the earth this is where he believes that the children of Israel erected the golden calf while Moses was on the mountain receiving the ten commandments he looked up on the mountain and he saw the top of it charred black he said it looked like just something was on top of that mountain with great fervent heat that charred it down and would have burned his guy said, oh, he said, man, that's all, all an old volcanic uh, site. He says it's been long extinguished. He says it's, it's, a, it's not there anymore. He says it's dead. So Grant was like, well, even so, he said, let's go up. Let's see, let's see what's on top of that mountain. So he gets up there, and there's this great area, just burnt, charred area. So they find these big boulders and these big rocks. Well, him and his archaeologists begin to hit on them and begin to try to crack open these rocks. And after taking a sledgehammer to him and just wailing on this rock, it finally cracks open. You know what they find? This is not volcanic rock at all. This is solid granite that he just cracked open. And something with such fervent heat descended upon this mountain that it was hot enough to burn the, the very stones and melt them down all around them. It was hot enough to, to melt granite. You know how hot something has to be to melt solid granite rock? Extremely hot, hotter than, the, than any kind of fire that we could kindle on this side of heaven, okay? He, he again believes that this was the place where the Lord descended upon the Mount of Sinai and delivered the, the law to Moses. For it says that he was, he was surrounded by a cloud and he came and he sat down on top of the mountain in a flame of fire. A third thing that we found that was very interesting in, in Grant Jeffrey's book, they were going through, and we know the story about how Moses. God commanded Moses, speak to the rock and, and water the children of Israel. Well, Moses, frustrated, and rightfully so, by the murmuring and complaining of the children of Israel, came and instead of speaking to it, he hit it twice. And because of that act of disobedience, Moses was prohibited from entering the promised land. Okay? But this is a very interesting uh, find. They found in the middle of, of pretty much nowhere, in the middle of the valley between the mountains, there was this great rock that was, that was stood up. It was a flat rock, and it, it stood up about 19 feet in the air. And right in the middle of it, there was a crack from the top all the way down to the bottom. 
Now you have to understand, this area of the world, it gets less than probably like a quarter to half inch of rain every year. Very, very small amounts of rain. Yet in the midst of all these jagged rocks all around this area in this rock, right in front of this rock was an area that looked like it was washed smooth. No jagged areas. It was a very, very smooth path that just led down from where the rock existed. He said it looked like there were massive, millions upon millions of gallons of water that had been rushing through this place, down this, this hill to, of, of this rock, to produce, produce such a phenomenon. Where all the other area, immediately around it was jagged, sharp, sharp rocks. The children of Israel came out with, with uh, about a million or so people. The Bible just tells us about the men, it doesn't say about the women and the children, but all their flocks and all the flocks of Egypt that came around with them. This is millions of, of living beings that need water. So therefore, it wouldn't have been a little trickle. It would have been a gushing river coming out of this rock. So three very interesting things that, that were found that I think the book of Exodus really kind of, uh, it validates to us and it says, you know what, that this book is, is legitimate. It is God's word. All the things that Chad talked about, all the things about the law, and the things that we talked about today, okay, this morning. There's some main points that I want to talk about. And really to get the just of you have to go back and read these awesome books. Read Joshua. Man, it, it is exciting. It is a great read. It's something that's going to keep you on the edge of your seat. Read the book of Judges. Read how God dealt with the, the, the people. And how he moved mightily upon the judges to deliver his people. Um, read these things. And, and the main points that really come out of here up until the time of Saul. Is that obedience and trust lead to favor and blessing. Okay? There's, there's really no other way around it. Whenever we trust God, and through our trust we obey Him, it leads to favor and blessing. Disobedience, as we see through these, these books, leads to judgment and loss. You see, we have a God in whom we can trust. He has the best, our best at heart. If only we would trust and obey, we'd better experience the best that God has for us. You see, the best that He has for us is infinitely more better than anything the world can provide. Amen? Let us pray. Father, we just come before you, Lord God, and just thank you, Lord God. Give us revelation, Father, and give, it, give us understanding about the law and how, Lord God, we're no longer under the law, Father God. And we just thank you for that, Lord, that we've been delivered from the law of Moses, O oh God, which brought condemnation and brought death. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are the ultimate fulfillment of that law. And that in you we can have life. In you we can have eternal life with you, Lord God. Lord, just put these things in our heart, Lord God, and give us understanding. That we may walk faithfully toward you in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Right. Well, let's give the Lord and Brother Kobe a big hand. Let's go with the